Hello and welcome back to the Honest Athletes podcast where today we're just going to get stuck right in to part two of the Patrick Miley episodes. I'd love to go on to the story of Hannah and Patrick. Mm. Um, when I was younger and, and growing up and, and stuff, I would see the, the World Champs, the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, and I would see Hannah Miley uh, on the TV. And I actually remember my first team that I made being sat at dinner and thinking, I remember it so clearly, I, was, I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Hannah Miley sat over there. And it was like, it was like this real, like, oh my God, this superstar. And the nicest thing is that Hannah is one of the nicest superstars you could ever meet. And that obviously comes from, you know, you, yourself, Patrick, and, and your wife, and just the whole family kind of, you see your family on poolside or, you know, just around and about. And, and you can see from what you mentioned earlier, how important family is to you all. And it is so nice to see. And it's probably why the, or part, a big part of the reason as to why the success of coach, dad, daughter, athlete was so successful. And I would love to hear you just talk a little bit about that journey, not a little bit, a lot of bit, please, about that journey of, of you know, how that, how that relationship was um, yeah. and, and why it was so successful. Right, okay, I'll try. I'll try. Hannah, you can correct me if I get some of this wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassing stories, please, as well, Patrick. Well, plenty of those, plenty of those. (laughs) Firstly, um, fortunately, Hannah is more like a mother than a father. That's the first and foremost thing. Um, But uh, I remember being so excited about having Hannah, having a child, but having Hannah. And uh, uh, Hannah may know this. I can remember coming home from work, I would love bath time, just love it because it was water. And I would always try and <laughs> encourage my wife not to be there because jugs of water would get poured on her head just to get her used to breathing, you know, come on, just learn to breathe. And she had goggles on from probably about eight months of age. Just so can you, you can wash, it's a fantastic piece of equipment for parents. You can wash a kid's head with soap all over the place if they've got goggles on, just, you know, use it. And then dropping things in, getting her to put face down and, and floating, and then literally floating in the bath. It was a real education just as a child, to the extent that I can tell you exactly where Hannah learned to swim. We went to the Collin Bridge Hotel. She was three years of age, and we had a, a couple of nights there just as a break. We took Hannah because we had to. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there was a little pool there, and it was about five or eight metres across. And within 20 minutes, she could propel herself from one side of the pool to the other. 20 minutes, that's what it was. So, and my belief is actually all children can learn to swim that quickly. The preparation is done in the bath. It's done in, in, in pretty simple ways in advance of that. And it's, it's all about confidence, really, your confidence and confidence in them. Um, so she seemed to enjoy the water. She seemed to, and, and also in, in those days, Hannah, it makes us feel very old here, but in those days, you know, competitions, we had five-year-old trophies at the swimming club. Winner of the 50, winner of the 25 butterfly, five, six, seven, eight. Now, of course, it's only eight and a bunch. So, you know, some things have changed. Um, my view of the younger swimming then was, there was such delight in watching these kids swim. There is actually a clip. And they're swimming a race. I think she'd be about six, and she finishes with her teeth. 
And you can hear the crowd going, <gasps> it's not like a cheer for winning. It's like, <gasps> has she got any teeth left? <laughs> um, and the, 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 it was just fun. I was coaching. Um, that, I realized early on that's quite tricky because you're now a parent and coach, and that was a new territory for me. And um, The good thing is only having one parent that's involved and not both. I mean, Carmel was involved, trust me, very involved, but she was much more sensible with it. Um, also, the problem with having a child in the club that you coach is that that child gets away with nothing because your first opportunity to apply discipline is with your, your own child because you know you'll get away with that one. So poor Hannah and her brothers probably suffered that. Um, it, I, there was a, in the districts of where we are, up in Inverness, there's some amazing young butterfly swimmers and they were, they were, they were extreme. They were far better than Hannah. But across all strokes, she was reasonably good, but she had no breaststroke whatsoever. Um, and um, I remember thinking, well, I quite like the medley because it's, it's an unusual event and it's all the strokes. And if she gets a breaststroke, she'll be okay at that. But we used to do some really odd things that I think at the time people misunderstood. Well, there was nothing to understand because I didn't announce it. But if you think back to developed the Acropacer, um, had a period of time involved with it. And eventually I actually left the company as well, left the company I set up, left my own company to, to just to, to get back to normality. It just it became so um, abstract. It was, being, it was being utilized for other things other than swimming, which were good, think medical things. It was used for like pelvic floor, like floor exercises for women who'd had children. And it was used for Parkinson's patients, but it wasn't anything I was focused on or as interested in and to cut a long story short I, I thought I'm just going to make my break and, and enjoy the history of it and, and maybe focus a bit more on coaching and I guess at that time Hannah would have been 10 or 11 so she was already swimming and already doing fine and I do remember and Hannah you'll recall it that I remember going to a district championships and I'd, one of those logbooks I could have noted down some of the thoughts I had then are no different to now it was like in order to get a human being to be structurally able to do something, you need to put them under stress. So I would enter her for every, every single event at the district championships. And I think there was two or three years where one particular one in Vanessa did, and in the final one, she won every event. And of course, all that happens then is people go, oh, what's he trying to show? And the reality was, I just saw it as training. I, I was so blinkered was like, Hannah, bless you, I'm sorry about this, this is a confession post-career. Post you were an experiment. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I learned so much from it. I learned a huge amount. And, and probably, um, do I tell you this one? I can remember once somebody coming saying, Hannah's in the showers and there's a problem. And I went up and I said, are you okay? And she was standing kind of, <laughs> I said, are you all right? <laughs> Yeah, I said, you've, you've got, you've just done the 200 flying. I know you've got the 800 free next. What do you think? <laughs> I said, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. And I'm like, oh no, what do I do? I'm, I'm the worst parents in the world. Where's social services? Take me out of here. And um, she kind of cried. And I said, look, just calm down. Just tell me what you think. She said, I don't, don't pull me out, out, out of, of the race. I said, well, why are you crying? She said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and joking aside, it was, um, 
I imagine it was fatigue, <laughs> um, but but she wasn't. It wasn't. I do know this about Hannah. It wasn't a fear factor. It wasn't like I think I have to do it. She she was that determined that early. Uh, it's interesting because I knew athletes that come into the program now, and I look at them, and they're amazing people. But I don't know where we find athletes that have been that focused, that intense, and that intent for that long with with balance, with with the, the healthy approach to be able to actually, and far superior than their coach, to be able to take stock of all that's gone on, put it through the soup of you know your own thoughts and then push out the perfect model of how to do things. You know, I if I had a time machine and went back and kind of do the same thing with a, with a hat, but then present them into the environment I'm in now with a long course pool and all the different opportunities early on, I, I would say this because nobody can prove or disprove it, I would say that she she would have performed significantly faster at her peak. I, I feel confident with that because there was very little extra that, that was available to her on a day-to-day basis, very, very little. But having said that, sometimes the Rocky effect is important too. I think that the resilience was emotional and mental um, as opposed to just focusing on the physiology, which coaches tend to be guilty of doing so much. Um, so Patrick, I've just thought of a great question that I'd love um, for you to answer. And I know there's there'll have been a few of these because you obviously worked together for a long time, but is there any, give me one set that Hannah's done that you've been there for that you've thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. There have been quite a few. Um, um, yeah, but, I, I'm sure, but but give me one. One that we repeated, we used to like, 1,600 IM. So you would go 400 fly, 400 back, 400 breast, 400 free, straight through. Every third uh, 100 was at in, intended race pace. Accumulate the times and get within um, 25 to 30 seconds of your PB, adding them up. Um, and then overlay that with the total time for the um, 1600 as best time. So you'd have two correlating factors, your cumulative third 100s and your total time. And I can't remember, I know you got well within, well within 30 seconds many, many times, but I'm pretty sure once you did the 1600 and did those swims and it was, I can't remember, 21 and a half minutes or something. But the, the other thing was, Racing 800 IM in Glasgow once at a meet, we asked for permission to swim the 800 free as 800 IM. And you were quite young then, and I know you went around, I think it was 9.58, something like that. Yeah, I remember that. It was basically two two 400 IM sub five minutes back to back, and as in 200 fly, 200 back, rest and free. Um, We would do some pretty tough sets. Some really, really tough sets. I'd have to refer to my book because the one thing I've, I have learned about myself, I cannot remember repeating a set. I don't think, I'm sure it's happened because as with anything, you know, automatically eventually fill in the same gap. But I'm, even now I struggle to, if I think, oh, I think I've written that one before, I'll change it. I don't know, we'll do it differently. Um, the only one is the 1600 would be one. Um, Hannah, if you remind me of other ones. What about you? Do you, do you recall any that were, pretty impressive um, uh, for both myself and Lauren or <laughs> yeah just sets that maybe you did that, that 
Um, the, there's one set that we did, but it was impressive in a sense of, I think it was more mindset than the time. Mm. Um, it was the 2200s backstroke in Tenerife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell that story. <laughs> yeah, like, like, that's definitely more of a mind over matter, not impressive as in, wow, that's super quick times. It was, oh dear, this is super slow, but it was the ability of overcoming it. So then by the end of it, actually, it kind of, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell, Lauren, I'll tell you this one because, and this will probably, uh, everyone who's had thinking up until this point is about to have their thinking disrupted about, about our history. We're in Tenerife at the T3 uh, Training Centre, which is just a fantastic place to, to train. 2012, Hannah, possibly, maybe 2012. Um, and the whatever the dynamics were, it ended up with just Hannah and me on, on the last couple of days. I can't remember everything that went on, but I remember and that's a luxury. I never got that often. Um, and what had happened, uh, without me knowing, she'd had um, the, the, the bed in which she stayed at in the hotel, had sort of little mites in it, and it had um, basically bitten her in armpits and places, and it was she was pretty badly affected by these midgey bites. Um, and therefore, backstroke wasn't her favourite. It was really difficult. And I, I was in a, I don't know why, I was thinking of having to go back to work or whatever. And I said, look, we're going to go set. This is finish off because I met two or three days. She downgraded all of what I feel. I kind of see swimming as you're trying to, you're putting your investments in to get your return. If you don't get the investments in, then you're, you're actually not on the, the step of a ladder that you think you are. So our priority was always health. It was always well-being. It was always recovery strategies. I mean, recovery is not about what you eat after a session or what you drink before or what you're drinking. It's the 20 hours of the day when you're not training. So recovery is that. That's the strategy. So the fact that she was ill, it's not her, but in my mindset, it's like a barrier to our success. Um, and I was, I was inappropriate. So we're going to do 2100s, 2200s backstroke long course. We're going to turn around on, oh, help me, Hannah. Three minutes, three minutes. I think it was on three minutes. Target times 220, I don't know. Yeah, it was like 225 or faster than two, between 220 or 225 or something like yeah. that. And it wasn't going well. It, it actually wasn't going well at all. And uh, it got to like the last three. And I was, and what had happened was actually the, the uh, sports psychologist for Scottish Swimming had arrived, Misha, who's Russian, he's lovely, the nicest man. And I'm in my head, knowing my, maybe this is me and maybe it's just me and my military background, it's like, I don't need an extra irritation here. I'm now even worse. I'm like, so I've, I'm not like this anymore. I'm not, so any swimmer that may come and work with me, trust me, this will never happen. But I, I kind of said, Hannah, if you don't get these last three within this time, then uh, we're just going to keep going until you get three back-to-back that do, even if it takes 50 of them. And she knows me. She's like, he's going to make me do that or want me to do that. And it got to the second last one and it was, it wasn't good. And I kind of lost it. I said, oh, I don't know why I'm here. I really don't know why I'm here. Um, you know, if, if, if you could get two or three seconds under that time, I'd figure but it looks like we're going to do an extra three. And she just said, tell me to go. And I wouldn't say all that you said, Hannah. I said, what did you say? Because she was quite aggressive to me. And she went, you heard. So, what did you say? She said, tell me to go. And I went, and I paused. And she said, tell me to go. 
So I went, go. And I can't remember how it. Like, if I'm, I'm pretty sure you went something like 280, something like that. Yeah. She was so angry. But just before she pushed off, and this is the main point, I turned my back and I heard this boing, this noise on the metal. She punched the side of the pool so hard, she just split her knuckles open. She split. And, uh, and that was when it was like, and I was like, she's just telling me to go. Um, and then she went to 18. And when I spoke to her afterwards, I felt so bad. And fortunately, the psychologist was there for me, not her. She was fine <laughs> to say, what's wrong with you? But um, she was saying, I just needed something else to hurt more than what was hurting me at the time. Now, that is a bad mindset. It's a kind of crazy thing that, athletes at that level do and often those stories either do or don't exist or they do or don't resonate with people but for me talking about it now um, it highlights that huge attention to performance that Hannah had always and brutal self-capacity to work hard and, and push that isn't it's abnormal in, in most of the population because it's it's developed in some strange way within an individual Sorry if that's a bit disturbing for your listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna offer counselling after it. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> no. Um, that? <laughs> what's that? Sorry, Patrick. Did you never do that then? Did I never do that? N- no, um, not not quite that intense. I don't think. <laughs> um, no, I did some some pretty in- interesting things, but um, it's amazing to hear these stories, and, and especially for the younger swimmers now coming through. I think it's quite different these days, but that's quite intense, yeah. Hannah. Very intense. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend balls. It's definitely not the thing. But at no. that time, processing my mindset, and I guess from Patrick's background be adaptable and in my head I thought right I can't straighten my arms armpits are so swollen from these bites they're sore I just want another part of my body to hurt so yeah so looking back at it definitely there was another way around it other than punching the wall but at that time that I I wanted to finish the set the way that I wanted to and for me that seemed the most logical option (laughs) well you do what you have to to get through right and then that was what you had to do and it and it worked so it's amazing, really. Um, yeah, I've I think, got. Can I, can I just mention something about that as well, in case it's misinterpreted? Sometimes um, the ability to put pressure on a situation, whether it's pressure on yourself as a coach or on an athlete as a coach or an athlete on them as themselves, was something I was reading just yesterday, and it was about a basketball coach whose quote, I won't get it exactly right, was um, the, more, the more you inflate a basketball, the higher it will bounce which is a reference to pressure. And I guess that's an indication of that. It's not a reason or rationale to do it, but it's kind of mildly interesting. Sorry, I stopped on your flow there. No, no, it's okay. Uh, and it's, you're absolutely right though. It's it's what we do and what we learn from it and how we move forward. And that's always, it's always been the case with you, Patrick, I've found, um, and Hannah has spoken about it before, about having such a growth mindset. Um, and obviously your journey with Hannah was wonderful and incredibly successful, but I would love you to talk a little bit about maybe the lower times or times that, because obviously a coach, dad, daughter, athlete relationship is different. And I suppose there's no book written on how to do it. And, and you had to figure it out, both of you together. And Hannah has also said before in her own episode where 
you know, you did grow together and you res the respect was there and it was about, okay, how do we do this and how do we get the most out of each other? Um, but I would love for you to, yeah, just, just talk a little bit about maybe the lowest point or the lower points and, and how you got through that and what you learned from that. Yeah, it's, well, um, it's nothing of any value is valuable without a contrast, is it? So, you know, if people who don't have things that eventually maybe have things appreciate them more or, or, um, or similar, I think. There was a tipping point in her career in 2005 when she got silver at the European Championships. And that was a point at which she, her training capacity and personality and focus changed. It was like a, a, a light went on. It was a realization. Um, before that, My Little Pony was more important. And then after that, My Little Pony was in the, in the bin. And, it still uh, is, Patrick. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all that does as a coach and definitely as a parent and any parent who might be listening to this, whether they coach or not, will be in sufferance with the same experience the child's going through. Because you have this wish and will and desire that somebody does well, and then for some reason it doesn't quite work, and you have this dilemma of support and your emotion and your because parents are very invested in what their kids do, and then even the, the, the dilemma of the concern of what am I doing? I thought that a lot over the years. What am I doing? What, what uh, as in what am I doing as a parent, not what am I doing as a coach? But the balance of karma was always the best for that one. And, and actually I noticed that more than ever. You know, Carmel and Hannah are so close just now, they're preparing for a wedding and it's like, it's, I can't get a word in, it's not, it's nothing to do with me, it's like. But um, the um, low points, uh, when, when we were in Delhi in 2010, um, I became very ill. I got E. coli and uh, they wanted me to go to hospital. I refused. I'm not sure I was compass mentis to be saying anything right, but uh, and, uh, and genuinely I was, I was extremely ill. But um, on, on one of the days, I think it was one early on, Hannah, the 200 IM had taken place and there was an expectation and Hannah had not performed well in the final. She had not been well as everybody had not been well, but it was all where are you on the not well sort of scale and I was waiting for her in the swim this was before I was ill and the swim down pool and as she came through you could tell she was upset and as she sat down I remember Dennis Persley coming over and trying you okay Hannah and you could see she's just in that state of I don't want to talk about this right now as it transpired one of the reporters had actually made a comment of microphone in front of her face saying, how does it feel, Hannah, to be the first swimmer in Scotland to let the team down? <laughs> Which is just brutal. I think that's the right quote or close to that, Hannah. Um, and it's interesting because actually when she went, <laughs> when I was ill and one day I actually escaped uh, from the, from the, from the, um, uh, the accommodation and got on a bus after everybody else. I was sat on the back on my own and I was like dripping in sweat and I really should not have. And I kind of crept from pillar to post to get to the poolside. And I think I was about 30 metres away from Hannah and she instinctively spotted me as, as, as animals do. They spot their relatives. And uh, I'm pretty sure Hannah, it was something like this. She was swimming and I had a stopwatch and I didn't go on the pool there because I just want to, I don't think I'd have been able to stand up. And... Uh, she swam and I would be like, 
because we lip read. I could be at the other end of a pool with Hannah most and she knows what I'm saying. It's unbelievable. In fact, if I don't want to hear him saying, she'll see me do this. <laughs> um, but uh, she, and then I kind of went and hid somewhere because I was exhausted. That was the, I think that was the 400 IM day. It must have been the reason I, I actually broke the regulations to be there. And she won, she won, which was just marvellous. But I'm pretty confident, Hannah, you probably finished the story. She came through, she, she was asked to question these microphones are coming in and somebody um, made a comment about feeling successful after you know, a disappointing start. How do you feel about this? And I'm not sure what the words were. I think Hannah said something to, I think it was Craig Lord as well. I think really what you should do is ask how I feel after the initial comment on day one by this gentleman here. And all the microphones went to this guy. <laughs> uh, which was quite smart. So instinctively then, I, I just felt angry. I became ill, I was ill, and I was still angry. It's, it's like, you're about to die, budget. No, it's okay, I'm still angry. But I'm and Rob... Um, um, Greenwood, who was sharing a room with me, did come in. And I saw Rob the other day at the Edinburgh meet. He's over in Spain, of course. And he was reminding me of the fact that he stuck his head around the door and uh, he'd spoken to the doctor. And the doctor said, oh, how is Pat? Because I'm sharing a room with Rob, but he was kicked out because of me. And the doctor was wonderful. He would drip feed fluid for me for, for a few days to save my life. And uh, Rob had asked him, he said this just this weekend, he said, oh, I'd asked the doctor, how, you know, how old is he? And he said, if he makes it through the night, he should be okay. It was that bad. And um, so he stuck his head around the door and he said, oh, he was obviously worried. <laughs> is there anything you need? And I was genuinely in and out of consciousness. And the doctor had gone at that point. And I remember him coming through. I don't remember saying this, but he said, apparently I said to him, if I die, don't tell Hannah until she's finished the 400 IM. <laughs> Which I believe his response was, if you die, can I have your aquapacer? <laughs> oh, dear. The, um, London was tough because there was huge pressure and expectation. And I had my view of things. I think that the, 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 the travelling involved and the, the disruption, the way things were done at the last was very, very tough for swimmers really, really tough, and particularly female swimmers. But nobody's to know until after the event. And, and uh, you know, in the review interviews, I did say exactly what I thought, and I still feel the same way, that you have to be... One of the luxuries of a home games is you can be within your own program, in your own bed, until as close to the event as possible. That's, that's more valuable than any investment in anything nice. It's... it's, it's, it's it's the raison d'etre to perform well when you have a domestic meet. And in fact, in 2014, Hannah pretty much had that luxury and that was supported by Scottish Swimming. And I'd be ever grateful because in 2014, she swam totally against what predictability would have stated. 100% because she was given the authority to stay at home until pretty much the games. And that made a massive difference. I think I commented that in 2014 that you were having the lead into a major meet being protected if it's domestic is a big benefit that's a, that's a separate subject but but still uh, for me important um, for anybody in, in, who's given that opportunity 2016 was obviously really really tough um, I was only 20 meters away from the pool I wasn't on the team but I was there live and watching that last 50 was really hard swimming it must have been a heck of a lot harder um, and 
them meeting Hannah after the event uh, and, and, and you sort of hugging and, and sensing all of the pain and the, the, the emotion and disappointment it was probably a more difficult with the sense that Hannah's um, at that time you could just sense she felt like she'd let so many people down rather than actually this is a brutal situation I'm in that's not letting anybody down um, but and then the subsequent period and we Hannah you and I have touched on it and I've heard bits and I have an, a reasonable idea and because we're so closely related I'm sure I understand a lot of it but not all of it that period of time would have been the single most difficult time in her swimming career I would think however uh, and I, I think I'm echoing some things I've heard you say Hannah the value of that has been uh, in life Far, possibly far more valuable than the success that could have been, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm hugely appreciative that Hannah's worked that one out and somehow subliminally or actually allowed me to share it. So I think the one thing I've always said, uh, and I said it in fact just recently, and we touched on it earlier, and I promise not to go back it with 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 gusto. But you know, having when Thomas passed away and my son died, that's hard. That's tough. That's something to feel that you need time to recover from and something that... So nobody... In fact, Ian Turner, when I stayed with him a couple of times, he used to answer the phone and he used to pick up the phone and say, Ian Turner, is it swimming or is is it important? (laughs) Is it to do with swimming or is it important? And, uh, you know, we we put everything that we do in sport, we put everything to do, particularly when you get to international level, as if people's lives depend on it and, and um, I do think the older I'm getting some of it's quite dangerous and it's only dangerous with regard to how people are let go away from it people's welfare and people's mental well-being in particular and their realization of they're not defined by that they're defined by so much more even those who are successful and even those who are successful that then have some tie in with it that allows them perhaps an income or a job or still uh, such a brutal environment. I don't know how that's unraveled or undone. So with regard to things that aren't um, successful or are difficult, many, as many as there are success, but isn't that the case of most things that have value or isn't that actually the case of most things in life? So ultimately, you know, we have to whisper in our own heads going, it's actually okay. It's okay. And um, for me, I guess the highlight of it is I always wondered what it was going to be like when Hannah stops swimming. And I didn't realize, and we haven't spoken about it properly, Hannah, yet, but how joyous it is. Because I watch her, her and Ewan come over and they're like, they're like, they're like carpenters with trees and chopping things down. And Hannah can axe a piece of wood that'll take me 10 minutes to do. And I keep saying to Carl, just wait until it's about to go, then video it. Then it'll look like Hannah. And, and Ewan will be up a tree with no fear, chopping. I'm like, it's extraordinary. So it's a joy to know that, that there's a world that's out there for both of them, that, that they're embracing already, and I'm able to see it. I feel so joyous about that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, of course it does. And it's, again, so nice to hear 
the low points, but then what is what you have learned from that and then put into practice. I'd love to flip that. And this is one of my favorite questions to ask anyone who's involved in sport. And we heard Hannah's answer on her own episode, but what Patrick was your proudest moment of yours and Hannah's journey. <laughs> and I know there's loads. But try and pick one or two. I might give you two. I mean, Hannah asked for two, so I had to give her two. There's an an aunt of mine whose favourite phrase used to be, you know, his or her bladder is awful close to their eye (laughs) when you start crying. But uh, um, 2014, I was not on the team. I was in the crowd. And there is a video clip that is out there somewhere of me. It looks like I'm crying, but something did just jump into my eye at that moment. That was magnificent. It's funny, Patrick, because I was there and I didn't don't remember anything being in your eye. <laughs> I tell you, it was magnificent for no reason other than the expectations were so different and the, the journey from through the winter and through into the spring to the determination. It was the one season where everything lined up on a poor start and it wasn't Hannah's or my fault. It was the way things were. I think it was early altitude and, and challenges racing and not ready for racing and then okay this is where we go from here and the trajectory was exactly it's like throwing the dart and it hits the bullseye it was like I know this is going to work I know even on the day I mean I wasn't on the team but I did lean over the balcony when she was preparing and I'd analyzed the 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 race and I knew the racing strategy of all the swimmers and I knew how Hannah could win and we had a little whisper on all of those secrets and she applied it and uh it's funny because I still know those things, and sometimes with the swimmers I have now, and they're like, "Actually, I know. I've got. I actually have the the answer here. I've got some apps that do all of those, but I haven't developed them properly. <laughs> but uh, no, that that was a high. Um, even like European juniors was was. Um, I think there was a young lad called. Cause there's a lot of tears in this podcast. A lad called Mark Branch who'd sadly lost his father just before competition and you mentioned right at the top of this you said something about legend I've never known I always use the word legend just to put it in perspective and uh, I this is a bit gross and apologize to your audience but I was uh, at the European Junior Championships Mark was in my group and he was just the most delightful young lad and I was very touched by the fact that there he was and he'd had this awful event in his life very powerful for someone so young and I'm in the toilet, sitting on the toilet, and all the swimmers come in, and it's all the, the French and German. And then I hear the Brits come in, and there's somebody saying, oh, who's on your team? And Mark goes, oh, i got Patrick. Patrick, my always on my, he's my coach. Legend. <laughs> and I'm sitting on the toilet going, I'd like to have heard it in a different place. But anyway, so he doesn't know. Sorry, Mark, but uh, he doesn't know that I heard that. But um, when... He swam, and he swam incredibly well based on all that had gone on, but I could see it wasn't quite where he wanted to be. I actually reversed myself back into this corner in between these walls, genuine, it was now wide, and it's on the pool deck, I backed up and I went, and I was just flooding. I was just in tears. And I could see this Russian coach's head popped over, obviously, to check what was wrong with me. And I'm not sure what he said in Russian. I don't speak Russian, but I surely said, he must have said something like, oh, typical Brits, soft as anything, you know, crying over a 
Karen and not making a final or not doing whatever it was. And my tears were just admiration for this young man's efforts and, and just, he just, he just brought my soul in that, that week. And Hannah, meanwhile, was magnificent. She, she, she went 447.47, I think it was. I got silver in the, in the European Juniors, and it, it changed a lot of her perspective. And incidentally, those European Juniors, when you were 15, and you swam it in a costume, and you swam it in a, a wee pool outside, you know, it was it was pretty impressive what those kids were doing in those days. They were they were they were they were. It's, it's difficult to make comparisons when when this slightly similar age or slightly older age going to European Juniors with suits and, and much finer environment. So. Um, we can interpret things any way we like. You know, Maria Belmonte was in, the, in, in, in and around that time, and um, Katinka Hossu was actually the person who beat Hannah. So they're three pretty intense 49 swimmers had a long career in swimming at the highest level. Um, so that was really lovely to be part of. Um, I sat and watched Hannah touch the wall and win the World Short Course Championships in 2012 after a pretty tough Olympics. First Olympic sixth, next Olympics fifth, and Euro, um, Rio, sorry, fourth. But in 2012, she won the World Short Course. And um, I, was, I was in the back of a simulator training some pilots to... Um, training them and, and I would have the control, the control so I'm sitting here with all these controls in front of me all these electronic controls huge simulator on giant jacks and two pilots at the front working hard going right we're gonna oh the weather's really bad and I'm pushing a change of wind or give them an engine failure or give them a little bit of a fire or tell them the passengers are being sick or and then I noticed and I had the iPad to one side I'm going like I know I'm supposed to be helping these guys train but my daughter's about to swim the world championships <laughs> And, I'm, and it's got no volume on. And I'm thinking, oh, I'll give them a gearbox or something because it's a noise. Then. So I could turn up the volume of the, uh, of the iPad. And I'm watching this race. And in the last 75 metres, Nisha wins coming back like a train. Like a train. And we'd seen how she finished in a few months earlier in, in London, the Olympics. And I'm, in my mind, I'm screaming, you know, but I, I'm trying to control this simulator. <laughs> and literally, when she touches and wins, I go, yes! And the guys are going, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. I just, and I'm trying to get everything. So, and he fully didn't even know that. <laughs> so I was quite at, at a distance. I was quite proud of that. I thought that was lovely. I thought it was great. It's quite nice beating Olympic champion every now and then. <laughs> Um, in uh, 2011, when she touched the wall uh, and got silver at the World Championships by one hundredth of a second from um, who was it came third? Uh, Rice. Yeah, Rice. Yeah, and she slapped your bum when you were being interviewed. I remember that, and um, that was quite similar. I didn't realise how much we cried. Hannah, obviously, we are very Irish, aren't we? Because Bill Finesse was actually standing next to me at that one. And as she touched, I just sort of crouched down on the floor. I was like, oh my God. You know, because it wasn't, it was a year out from the Olympics. I was very clear on what, what the targets that we were trying to look for. And uh, you could sense all these Chinese around going, what's wrong with him? <laughs> He's dropped something, you know. And Bill was really, Bill was lovely. He was lovely. He did, he actually turned around and said something uh, that, that uh, you mentioned earlier on. He said, I don't know how you do this. And I was like, nor do I. 
<laughs> as in you know the time and doing other things as well. So there, there, there are lots. Um, I think I'm proud as most of her resilience in, in, in life. She's so respectful of things. She's much more patient than me. And, um, you know, when I hear other people talk about her and things, I feel they're much more, much more uh, impactful than all of the swimming. the swimming. There are people that stop me in the car park at Aberdeen and go, oh, got to tell you, these people don't know. My son was in the flume the other day with Hannah. Oh, his breaststroke now, just, oh. When you see it, say thanks. I'm like, well, you probably paid her to do it. So. <laughs> but, but then, you know, people are just, um, it, it's lovely. It's really nice. It's not a surprise though either, because my stories match up with exactly what you've just said. And speaking of crying, you also have the ability to make me cry because I remember my last race in 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 Britain, and I'd sort of I think I'd told Hannah that it was going to be my last race. It was a fifty back at Winter Nationals, and I was fine. I was fine. I touched the wall. I was fine. Looked up to my mum, my parents. They were crying. I was fine. You know, I was speaking to all the girls after the race. I was fine. Walked down the length of poolside and where you guys normally sit at the end of the pool. Um, that's like the Hannah Miley, Patrick Miley section. But um, I walked past, I was walking around that way. Um, I think they should put a sign up actually that says the Miley spot or something like that. But um, I looked at Hannah and she was like a little bit emotional, I think, but it just set me off then. And I was like, I'll always remember Hannah was the one that made me cry. So thanks for that, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> Sharing the crying love. No problem. Super hydrated. <laughs> what was that? Saying so super hydrated, the too much yeah. fluid throughout you yeah. escaped it somehow. I think I think being emotional is good because it shows how much you care and the impact and you know, I've always, I do know that I am a bit of a leaky swimmer, but I think for those who truly understand both your, yourself, dad, and, and me, and those who know us very well, you know, there's no malice or anything bad behind the intentions that we have. Uh, you know, everything is for, you know, the purpose of the sport, for the growth and development of either the individual that we're working with or as us as people. And, you know, I think, being able to show that emotion as well, it just allows us to just, you know, it's a bit of a pressure pot. You, you apply the pressure, you cope with it, you deal with it, and then you let it release, whether it's, you know, something for a really happy moment or something that maybe is, you know, a bit of a low moment. But it's important to be able to share that and have that emotion. Um, and, you know, we're, we're human. <laughs> you know, we might push ourselves to some crazy and unbelievable things as both coach and athlete, but ultimately we are still human who has, who has some, you know, strong emotions about things. And it just shows how much we care about what we do, the impact we have on others. And, um, yeah. and yeah, it's been really hard trying to keep a dry eye, actually listen to all this. So. <laughs> there's a, there's a on, on a similar vein, Hannah, there's um a poet that I listen a lot to. People wouldn't realise that people do strangest things. But I really love poetry, but I'm not talking about a classic or anything I'm going to start loving out here, but there are a few that I really, really hook into sometimes. But there's a guy called David White, W-H-Y-T-E, who actually, I think I connect with him a lot because he's second-generation Irish, and I think he was born and brought up around Manchester, so he can't be a bad guy, I know. Um, but he works a lot in businesses and a lot with American businesses, I guess, because they pay well. But uh, 
he always said about being Irish, he said that being Irish is never, ever about winning, but it is always about being the last man standing. <laughs> and I think um, I feel that in myself. You know, there have been quite a few challenges in life, and that's, I think that's a good life. You know, anyone in, and either of you watch Gogglebox? And I think Gogglebox is the most amazing story. Or, you know, program. But yeah, but I'm like, do they do anything else? <laughs> I hope they do. <laughs> I hope they have another life as well as watching telly. And those cakes, every time I watch it, I get hungry. It's like they're all eating cakes. And, but um, no, it, it, if, if we haven't had a life challenged, you probably haven't had a life. One of the key things that was, um, one of the key teachings that you taught us from like, well, for me personally as a young swimmer, but a lot of the athletes that you do teach nowadays is that responsibility and that being a student of your own sport. Um, I just wondered if you could just share a couple of those philosophies with us, just, um, you know, your sort of key expectations. And when you, you know, someone was to come to your group for the first time, what would they expect to, to know? Cause a lot of people assume, you know, oh, it's the coach that makes me, you know, the swimmer that I am. And whilst part of that is true, you do teach a lot about that sort of self-reliance and that ability to be that taking ownership of what you do. Um, and yeah, just curious to know what some of your key philosophies are around that. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I think a coach should work towards making yourself redundant as best as possible. I think that if you can't, at some point, if you have a successful, what defines a successful swimmer? Is it going to district? Or is it going to national? Or is it going to international? Let's say it's international. The likelihood of you being there as a coach is pretty small. So prepare them for that. Don't prepare them for you being there. And also, if you get sick and you can't be there, you know, pandemic, people are getting COVID and people can't be around. And how prepared are they to do things without you? Um, so I think that, part of a philosophy or a behavioral approach would be that you need to um, encourage them to be students of their sport. And that doesn't mean just swimming. It just means, I always I normally draw a circle. It used to be every season, I don't do it. I draw a circle on the whiteboard and divide it into three equal parts and then put four of them. And just remind people that if you're doing a four year cycle, the, the sections in this circle here are three equal parts physiology, psychology, and technique. So a coach is focused. So I'm mentoring at the moment a young coach called Scott Goby, who's just retired from swimming. I reckon we'd be at the Commonwealth Games coming, but he was injured, made a quick decision to retire. And I'm just blessed, if that's the right word, that, that he's come to us in Aberdeen. And he's just, he's extraordinary. He's intelligent. He gets swimming. He understands it in a way that very few do. And he's a, he's a, he's a student of it. And, and I think, and I'm loving working with him because I'm trying to challenge him in different ways. And maybe sometimes it would be irritation, I don't know. But, but if if it was him I was talking to right now, I'd be saying, coaching wise, you want to focus on each of those components in equal amounts. Because there's a propensity for us as coaches to focus. If you think of a coach talking about swimming, I'm going to talk about that threshold set. If anyone wants to know a set, it's a threshold set or a VO2 set or a speed set more to do with physiology than it is technique or psychology far less to do with psychology anyway second year the um, physiology and psychology thirds reduce and then the um, psychology physiology and technique one reduce and the psychology one opens up a little bit 
by that, it doesn't mean that you, you, you don't pay attention to the technique and the physiology, but the swimmer understands it closer to what you do. So actually the delivery of it can be dilute and the more focus is on psychology, i.e. their well-being, their understanding of competition, their understanding of training processes, their understanding of developing as a young human being. Year three, it's shrunk again. And in fact, in year four, they, it's just two slithers that are technique and physiology because actually everything's about the person and about... So that would be my run-through on how coaching should develop for a four-year cycle. For, let's say, a 14-year-old looking at going to the Olympics at 18, get a great female, or a 16-year-old looking at going at 20 as a male, let's say. And it doesn't, it's not literal. But if you keep that in mind as you develop with them in their relationship, they have to start to understand, and they get fed up with it, what physiology is, rather than just doing it. And once you know they've got it, then when you refer to it, it's in the smaller piece of the pie because you don't have to explain the whole thing and you don't have to hide it from them. They have some understanding of it. I mean, this season, for the first season ever, every single session I put a quote at the top of, because I print the sessions out and they all have it. So it's one here. Some of the quotes are dreadful, so I wouldn't even mention them. <laughs> but 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 I for me at the moment that's quite important. Here we go. Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. And who's Wyatt Earp, Lauren? Who's Wyatt Earp? A guy who yeah, well is a guy. said something. Anyone who's got, who likes westerns is the guy who shoots people. You know, when you do the stand and you go, quick draw, and they shoot each, shoot each other. Wyatt Earp was one of those guys. So his quote is, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying to swimmers. Same thing. And they go like, what, we're going to have a gun and shoot each other? No, no, I don't have to explain this. I think they get it. So... On some days uh, in Varuri, what I really miss, we used to have real fun sessions. We used to do some outrageous things and find something different to throw in the pool. I think Hannah's told the story. We used to get the silver paper ball and we used to grow that. And I don't know if I can't remember whether it floated or not, but it, it was part of our life. There was one time where I put a map on the wall and we swam from Aberdeen to Madrid. <laughs> So I got these maps and put them and then had a line and every time if it's to 10,000 meters was marked off or whatever it was, and swimmers could log where they were. It's incredibly motivating. Where did you get to? I swam to Manchester. <laughs> Not today, but over the last five months. I think you have to, one thing I do know, I love um, Steve Peter Stuck, the, the, the chimp paradox and his new one about the jungle. And I love the, the way, because it simplifies or, amplifies um, a simple understanding of how we develop in the brain, how we might behave and make behavioral choices. And having worked doing crew resource management and flying and coaching resource management in swimming, understanding other people's behaviors is really, really important for clarity and ability to criticize and be criticized. Um, and I, I think that so in fact, I ran the course the other day, and I don't know if you were there, and, uh, for my squad. And it was really interesting. It's the first time ever that three teams finished particular tasks that I give them in a really short period of time. And I actually drove home and I thought, why is it? Did they, had Hannah come in and told them what was happening? Or they, and I think the, the group have clicked. 
the group are in a much better place. They're much, so it's taught me to realize the benefit of something I was just doing and now I have a different value for it. They were so fast, it was, it was surprising. Um, but I do know that all of our brains develop at different rates. Male brain develops at a particular and female, and it's probably mid twenties. To you guys will know this, mid to late twenties before actually the development's complete. And then there's a reason that a teenager is quite so unbalanced. It's not a completion of your sort of frontal lobe, if you like, and, and therefore it's reasonable that their behaviour sometimes is unreasonable. It's okay. It's 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 normal. Um, and as long as you know that, and they know you know that, it makes it even more normal. And some of that unreasonableness disappears. <laughs> uh, listening, I think, is probably a philosophy. I think we're taught as coaches to teach and point in directions and explain. And sometimes some people just want to be heard. Mm. No, I really agree with that. I think it's quite a poignant moment, a poignant point that you've kind of put across. And you know, what advice then say, you know, your teenagers, their brains aren't really developed sort of early 20s is when things start to come together. But what about young swimmers just getting involved in the sport? You know, how much support should the parents give in and around, you know, if they've got a young athlete who they would like to see perform really well? Because um, obviously as a role for being a coach athlete for us and father-daughter, how much input should uh, a parent give for, say, their young child to help them through this sort of developmental stage? Yeah, wow. A great question. I, um, I, think, I think this is probably impossible for me to get across without getting some bit of it wrong, but I'll try. Um, if uh, my view of a parent, so if I, I can view it because I have swimmers that have parents, although... Most are at university and they're away from their parents. So some I don't even really know their parents and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, when I meet them, it's a, it's a joy to meet them. But those who are in the throes of parents, child and family in and around the swimming community, um, I think it's really important to um, maintain perspective and have something other than swimming that's in the conversation that's in the world and that's in and around it. And particularly when it's um, when it involves targets or events or expectations. And that's so difficult to do because we're parents. Our instincts are, I was watching a YouTube thing last night about this Welsh guy who's, he's put these, <laughs> he's put these um, GPS trackers on sheep. <laughs> And uh, he's gone to Australia to do it, and he's Welsh. I'm like, why have you gone to Australia to do that? There's loads of sheep in Wales. And he's put these trackers on, and he's got this screen on this TED Talk. I'll send you the link. It's brilliant. And all these sheep are, like, stringed out, stringed out like this. And then this little blue dot comes on. He said, this blue dot is the sheepdog. And as the sheepdog runs, they see it as a threat. So it just, they cluster together. They're all like this. And then the, the sheepdog moves them around, and they remain in this really tight cluster. And basically, the ethics of it are that the reason they pull together is that instinctively in nature they know that the people who are in the center of the group like that are more are safer than those on the outside because they're going to get got <laughs> so it's not that sheep are smart in any way they're all just trying to survive sometimes um swimming parents can be no i'm not going to say swimming parents can be like that i think that sometimes there's this 
this chaotic world that you live in, which is normal, and then competition comes on and somehow all the parents kind of cluster together and it's like, where's my child involved in what, you know, I, I want my child to be at a particular point. And it is absolutely normal. Absolutely, I can't imagine a family that haven't sat there and, you know, grind their teeth when their child's just been picked or is not doing so well and going, well done, Mrs. Jones. Well done, Mrs. Smith. Well done. And, uh, and actually internally, there's like this wrangling. And my view of that is get used to it. Get used to it and, and teach your child and be like your child to congratulate the person who's beaten you. And the moment you get in the car, talk about something other than swimming. Talk about a Netflix movie or talk about a walk with the dogs or talk about dogs. I mean, honey, you got the bone in the background. That's it. So just and, and make light of most things, not everything, and, and, and keep, keep perspective. Imagine that um, it was, <laughs> imagine it was something far worse than what you've just witnessed. If your child has lost a race or is not improving, Pressure is, a, is, a, is an awful thing. I think the pressure, and pressure is applied often by us as parents without us realizing it. So I think we need like a checklist. Did, did, in fact, there's something I was listening to the other day and I thought it was wonderful. It said, in order to understand something, put it in the third person. So um, I'm in a car and I go, Henry, you know that turn of back that you did? You just went out too hard, mate. So put it in the third person. Uh, Henry, uh, your father would like to state that uh, the first part of your race, the 200 back trip, was related. <laughs> it, it feels different. It feels like it really is. It's a direct criticism that's factual. It's not a conversation. So um, avoid it and give it time. And if they raise it, listen. Four points. What did you do right? What did you do wrong? What can you improve? Park it and move on. That's what a coach should be saying to an athlete, give them that attention. Um, a parent should be, did you enjoy it? What do you want for dinner? What are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> and I, I struggle with it because we're all, I, some parent, parents will know times more than I will. Because they've only got one child, I've got 22 swimmers. And, and, and I, um, I can only pay attention to what's in front of me. If, if a parent wants a tip for their child to improve, make sure it's the child that's looking the coach in the eye more, most frequently. If that coach is looking at that person, is taught, is, her, their natural behaviour is to look like they're interested, look like they want to be there, they'll get the attention and focus because that's human nature. Keep out of it, really. Keep out of it and, and be the best support network. 20 hours of a 24-hour day are not swimming. So make sure that their sleep is the best it can be. Make sure the nutrition is good and healthy and the best it can be. Make sure their peace of mind is the best it can be. And make sure the homework's done. Best parents in the world. Best results for the swimmers, probably. I think one of the things as well that everything that you've kind of encapsulated there from, you know, telling us how you started from the very beginning, starting involved in swimming through the military, through flying. When I came along the aquapace, so there's so much learning and growth and development there for an individual. 
And just to kind of touch a little bit on that CRM, uh, a lot of people might not know what CRM stands for and what it means. Um, you said it was uh, when you were flying crew resource management and you've now developed something from flying into the coaching world. Um, just out of curiosity, just for those who are in the sporting world, whether it's within swimming, whether it's when, um, you know, other sports or triathlon, are you, could you expand a little bit more about that just so that we know more about what this course that you deliver is about and actually who you've currently delivered it to? Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, remind me if I miss bits of this, but uh, <laughs> um, CRM Crew Resource Management was really started in the 1980s led mostly by the Americans, but also a lot of European um, civil aviation authorities who investigated the nature which accidents took place. And in, in simple terms, there was something like 85% of fatal accidents in aviation occurred due to human error, human miscommunications, misunderstandings, and, and uh, with disastrous results. So the attention was paid to how the humans who are making the air, which is the pilots at the front, so predominantly two crew operations, so pilot, co-pilot, and learning to understand the uh, nature of behavior, the consequence of behavior, and the understanding the ability to assess that behavior and communicate effectively. So um, a lot of it, one of the major parts would be um, defining um, aggressive behavior, whether it's direct aggression or passive aggression, or indirect aggression uh, versus submissive behavior or my preference, if you like, or aviation's preference, assertive behavior. So in a, a Dr. Byrne, who's a Canadian psychiatrist who wrote the book, I'm okay, you're okay, is the, the base of a lot of that, you know, that um, a direct aggressive action is, I don't want you to do this, I need you to do that, just do it. And it comes at you a bit like a tank. So it's actually an aggressive, a direct aggressive action. An indirect aggression would be um, somebody who maybe talks behind somebody's back about something and then they hear it indirectly. They don't know who's done it. So again, the military reference is a bit like a sniper. They're kind of shot without even knowing who did the shooting. So that's a form of aggression. And the other one, I'm looking in the window because I pointed that way in the bottom left, would be a doormat, which would be, I'm, a, I'm not okay, you're okay. So I'm okay, you're okay, direct aggression. I'm okay. I'm okay, you're not okay, sorry. I'm okay, you're not okay, but I'm not gonna tell you direct, indirect aggression. Down here, um, I'm not okay, you're okay. So somebody who's naturally submissive at every moment and anyone who's aggressive puts them into their place immediately. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I think I've got that wrong. And swimmers who sometimes go, oh, this isn't gonna work for me. They're already behaving you know, in a negative, in a, pass, in a submissive manner. And then the, the other one, the I'm okay, you're okay, is really useful because whatever the situation, if you assume the thinking I'm okay, you're okay, you're likely to get through the dilemma of the communication more readily. So it doesn't matter what it is. I've, I've had um, maybe an aggressive approach from somebody and the normal male response can be to be two tanks and that's why people end up at war with each other. But if the response is to actually take on board an aggressive response, and in your mind, you think, I'm okay, so make yourself feel okay first. So they're definitely going to push me into submissive. But I need to let them know it's okay to be upset. I'm really sorry. I know that you're angry. I get that, I get that you're angry. I can see by your finger in my face and the noise that's coming out of your mouth. But, but it's okay. I'm fine with what I've just done. 
And immediately that response will be, yeah, but you're supposed to be, well, no, I'm not actually, actually okay. But I do understand that you're angry. I get angry sometimes and it's, you might be tired. But so that's to behavior. So with regard to coaching and the, the coaching resource management course, it was Canadian Swimming who asked me in the pandemic to, to set up some a course, a series, and it was really enjoyable because they, they're doing some incredible um, coaching strategies over there and involving equal numbers of male and female coaches and using CRM as a sort of basis for understanding um, the behaviour. Um, it's funny because I actually have, I didn't know you were going to talk about this, that's a... It's like a check seat that um, I would use in coaching terms. It used to be a similar check sheet I would use in aviation terms. So that, you know, we look at technical competency and communication. So if I work, let's say, with Scott or with any coach poolside, if you're doing a formal course, the way I would advocate it with using CRM, give everybody these. And afterwards, gather around and debrief each other and say, right, well, let's talk about technical competency. You know, we'll go, right, knowledge, okay, uh, there might be something on there. Demonstrates ability to use equipment, stopwatch, or others. You, so there's a, a hint. So then let's start the conversation about your coaching, about that point, and then redirect it around. And then once you've done technical competency, talk about communication, how you communicate, whether you're on time, how you're dressed, lots of things. So the, the essence of CRM is, in aviation, created a safe environment prevented accidents and saved lives, ultimately. So it's really important. My belief in coding resource management is improve the quality of delivery of the coaches and awareness and understanding of behavior so that we don't make mistakes that in aviation would lead to accidents, but we don't make mistakes that might lead to misunderstanding, bad relationships, difficult environments, or failure in performance. It's just fascinating to hear you know everything that's that's been going on forever and this is why when I spoke to Hannah about having you on Patrick it was like no this is going to be a really interesting and positive episode where lots of people can learn not just swimmers coaches parents people in general it's just like a it's a story that must be shared and much more than it is because there's things that I I know even Hannah said today, I've, I've not heard some of this, but, you know, people should be listening to and learning from. And, you know, it's just it's just incredible. And I feel honoured to listen to it and to have, again, like I said, witnessed a, a tiny part of it. No, I really appreciate the chance to talk. It feels a bit like therapy, to be honest, both of you. So thank you for that. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat to both of you. I do, do genuinely uh, love what you're doing. I think that I've no idea, to be honest, what your audience is at the moment. I don't know. I haven't tracked it all changed. But um, I do think that what you're doing is putting together the ability. I love the fact that it's swimmers and it's not coaches. I love the fact that it's people who have swum and swum well and they're simply expressing norms. Um, I think it's, 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 it's brilliant. Um, and I'm very privileged to have been on. Well, when you say lovely things about me, I've said it about you too, that you are. A great communicator and you're really good at this and and, and uh, please keep it going <laughs> thanks patrick that really means a lot especially coming from you so uh i'm gonna I, I say a lot on this podcast about things that people say and putting it in their linkedin bio but i think i've got mine now uh patrick miley once said that i'm a great <laughs> communicator 
but no, I, honestly, I do. I really appreciate it. And just thank you for coming on and for giving us your time. It means a lot to, to me and, and definitely the listeners. Okay, thank you um, to everyone that's listened to this episode. I know you'll have taken loads from it. I definitely did. We really look forward to seeing you next week on the Honest Athletes podcast. <laughs>